Yeah, so I'm not sure the best way to spend today. I mean, I was thinking maybe just doing a healthcare provider thing just based on motivational interviewing. Okay. And I know you know a lot about it already. In fact, you do a lot of those principles on your own. Um, I don't know if you finished your training yet. I haven't finished my training. Have you started it? I haven't started my training. <laughs> what do you mean you haven't started it? What do you so mean? I'm, 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 I'm you were supposed to start it months ago. I, I'm three weeks behind in an eight-week program, which is... Uh, so, and I, so, and I, I'm so embarrassed of it. So, I've heard the name Bill Miller about, I don't know, what, 800 times? Well, I say it every time I talk about Yeah, Bobby every Shirley. time you talk about Bill. And so that now I see he's in these videos. Oh, you I, see his face. Oh, yeah, yeah he's talking. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's actually, I think, I don't know, is he still alive? Yeah. Okay, he's still alive. I but he's not, so. he's, he's, he's not a, you know, I figured he was like a, a Freud-type character. God, he's and, not a god. He's not no, a no, god. but I just he's figured this guy's been dead for 50 years and he's like no. 120. But no, no, this is just a regular guy. He's like in his 60s or 70s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and he's, he's wearing the, uh, you know, kind of the, the New Mexico look and, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no. And it's very insightful. Right. So I'm, I'm just starting that learn and I honestly, as foolish as this sounds, I, I didn't know that kind of the state, this is all I've gotten to is kind of the stages of change, uh, being kind of intermingled into that yeah. motivational interviewing. Yeah. So I, I, um, because I've always learned about the stages of change and motivational interviewing separately. I don't know if they are, are they integral to each other? Uh, they're, they're, they have common themes. Okay. Uh, but in currently in motivational interviewing, we stay away from the stages of change. Okay. And I can talk a little bit about why that uh, that is. Uh, and we can even talk about why the stages of change is sometimes not a good thing in a clinical setting to think that way. Okay. Right? And I think that's going to be some... But I mean, it'd be better to start where those questions are. I mean, I love the fact that you've seen him. Uh, and, and the way that he presents himself, I think it's done with intention. So every time I've seen him give a talk, he always shares a learning story uh, where he learned something he didn't know. He always talks about cases that were particularly uh, tough uh, for him to do. And, and I'm convinced the reason that he does that is because he wants everyone in the audience to realize they can become as good as he is. Yeah, so he's not uh, not holding in that information. So uh, I know there's other there's other programs or philosophies, maybe not at your level, but at, in my level. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of RAP, uh, Wellness Recovery Action Plan, or something. There you go. You got oh, okay. It. okay. <laughs> so yeah, and Mary Ellen Copeland, I think. Is oh, her name. good. Yeah, good yeah. for so you. I, so oh, I, so I, you're I, gonna be name dropping left and right, just like me. Well, so <laughs> I've, I've taken all, a lot of those courses and gotten those yeah. certifications, but but I. I felt that that learning module was, um, how do you say, sort of closed in or, or proprietary hmm. a little bit because it's hmm. like they're, yep. it, you got to learn the way that that they want you to learn yep. and yep. Um, and you got to sign up for their courses. You got to sign up for this book and that teaching module and this, that, and it's kind of rather expensive actually considering what, what it, I, not, not that it's not a good value. But uh, but it, it uh, but I feel that the the motivational interview is a much more loose, open, uh, open source, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it is uh, is because of how it was developed and what the philosophy is, right? So if you look at a lot of these psychotherapies, the psychotherapies of today are structured, uh, they're time limited, they have a start point, they have an end point, and a lot of people put together these packages. And they put them in studies and then they keep ownership of it, right? So they, they get money from the books, they get money from the training. Um, 
all that kind of stuff. The way motivational interviewing uh, developed, so Bill Miller, I mean, I find you can learn a lot about a psychotherapy when you learn about um, where the person who developed it trained uh, and also uh, how they trained. And so Bill Miller was very heavily trained in psychoanalytic and psychodynamic, uh, which is more sort of about um, uh, the the person in depth, right? Are they, um, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit complicated, but it's more like that old school stuff, like Freudian-ish stuff. But he was also very heavily heavily influenced by this guy named Carl Rogers. Okay. And Carl Rogers, he's all about unconditional positive regard. So if you see and treat the person the way that they can be and could be, and like they, they will become that way. And his whole philosophy is really based on seeing that good in others, seeing the greatness in others, and nurturing that, uh, that greatness. And so sometime in the 80s, he wrote this paper on what he called motivational interviewing, but really he was just... This a, is Carl Rogers or Bill No, Miller? no, this is Bill Miller. Okay, okay. And it's, it's good that you ask these questions, okay. right? Because I, I jumbled the stuff up together. So Bill Miller, influenced by psychodynamic, psychoanalytic, uh, trained in New Mexico, uh, very influenced by Carl Rogers, and... It was around the time that AA was very prominent. Okay. And when you think about AA, it's a very different philosophy, right? So what, what, what do they say in AA? They have a certain number of steps, you go to meetings, and you're powerless. You're powerless to this uh, addiction. Yeah. Uh, and you need, like, a sponsor. You have to go through the steps to get better. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. And... It's done wonders for some people. It has. Right? It, it absolutely has. You know, when you think about yeah. the social community, the connection, 100%. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so in that environment that Bill Miller was in, back then, if you wanted to go into a treatment program, uh, they had these places. You'd, you'd show up at like maybe 7 a.m. or something. You'd wait in line for about an hour, and they would take six or seven of you into this program. You'd always be waiting in the sun because it was in Arizona. And then you'd have to go through a full-day assessment to get into one of these 12-step uh, long-term programs. Yeah. And so I suspect, I don't know if this is true, he was he created this therapy for those where the existing programs didn't work. And so he wrote a paper in the 80s and he forgot about it because he's a, he's a therapist, he's a clinician. And then the other guy, Rolnick, I don't know if he was from Australia or New Zealand, he was from one of those two <laughs> countries. Those that, Kiwi type places. Well, you learn how ignorant I am right now. <laughs> and so he read this guy's stuff and he ran into Bill Miller at a conference and was like, oh my God, I've been doing your motivational interviewing. And it's like, what? What do you mean? And he didn't even remember that he wrote this paper. But no, like, so basically this Rolnick guy got so excited about this. I think he was an Emerjock. I'm not sure. Maybe he was a therapist. I can't even remember his story. But he got so excited about it. He started doing what was based on this one random paper this guy wrote that he'd forgotten about it. And then what happened with, with MI is because the spirit is, is really, really about um, uh, acceptance. It's about promoting individual autonomy. It's about a partnership, co-developing. It's not about me, the expert, telling you. It, it's about this creation of this, this experience. And what happened was there was this organization that was slowly developed, uh, the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Uh, Bill Miller and Rolnick wrote about three editions of a book. And each edition would keep getting adapted based on what this community was developing. And okay, let's back up in this story a little bit. Okay, so Bill Miller wrote this paper sometime before it kind of took off. Yeah, like around the 80s sometime. Okay, and then he found this uh, family medicine kind of guy. Yeah, he, he might, a, he he might have been a family from, doctor. He might have he's, a family he's a physician doctor. of some sort. He might have been a physician. He might be a therapist. <laughs> he, That's how horrible he's a healthcare provider. Of some sort. <laughs> and, and he's somewhere in the... Uh, 
in the uh, you know in the in the Australia New Zealand area, right? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So, but th then did that sort of reunite the uh, kind of interest for Bill Miller himself back yes, into this program? Yeah. That's why they wrote the first book. Oh, okay. So after that's when they wrote the first edition of Motivation. Okay. They, they got all excited. They, they started talking the way we are now, and oh, oh, oh my God, it's so helpful. Okay. And then they did their first book. Okay. And then this movement started to develop, right? Because what do you do for those people that don't like being told what to do? Like you see their problem, like, hey, you gotta do this. This is not working, you're killing yourself. And they're like, fuck off, leave me alone. And so you need something to hook them in. And so they, they, they protocolized it, they evaluated it, and they got a whole bunch of uh, scientists and therapists to try to develop it and improve it and evolve it. And so when it started, they, they were using the stages of change kind of approach, but eventually they, they've really moved away from it. Right. Right? So they seem to have moved, like it sounds like what you describe also just sounds exactly like harm reduction, right? Which is meeting somebody where they're at and accepting it and, and normalizing it. Yeah, I mean, I think harm reduction is a little bit more nuanced uh, because uh, for a lot of these cases, you're literally sharing or providing a service, whereas motivational interviewing is, is a tool of language. It's, it's a tool of language where you use certain words a certain yes. way yeah. and you get a response a certain way, but, but there's definitely an overlap. And that's why they're, they're really good uh, partners, right. right, in terms of uh, uh, interacting with people. So the first guy, this Carl R Roche, was it Roche? Rogers. Rogers. Carl Rogers. Is he dead? I think so. I think so. May he rest in peace. He was a phenomenal, <laughs> he, was, he was a phenomenal therapist. And, and he also, I mean, like, to me and you, this sounds normal. Why wouldn't you want to see the best in someone, right? But, but therapy, usually we're trying to fix people's problems. Or usually they, they have some deficit. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I can't do this. I can't do that. So Sounds like validation from what he, the way you described it first, right? This guy, is, this guy validates a lot, which some yeah. people have said. You and I have worked together for a long time that you're, you're kind of like the validation the king. Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say validation king. And, and the, the funny thing is with these words in English, you have all these different psychotherapies and they'll use similar words or the same word to mean slightly different things. And for the most part, none of this stuff matters, right? Around those nuances. But when you start to get into the nitty gritty where you're trying to figure out, hey, do I use harm reduction with this person? Hey, uh, do I use motivational interviewing? Hey, uh, do I use dialectal behavior therapy skills? Hey, does this person have trauma? Do they need a trauma treatment? Hey, do I use case management? Do do more goal setting, more aggressive goal setting. I think there's, there's value in, in knowing the pros and cons of the different approaches and being able to shift with intention based on what the person needs at the time. And we both know from friends, family, patients, sometimes what the person thinks they need may not be exactly what they need. In fact, you may think about ourselves, right? Sometimes what 100%. we think we need is not what we need. And sometimes we need somebody to be a bit more and more firm. But yeah, so that that's sort of some of the background around motivational uh, interviewing. And, and I'm so glad that you're doing this this course because you get to hear from the guy that developed it, right? Yes. Because in, in 40 years or so, he won't be around. I mean, his videos will be there. Yes. Uh, but he won't be around to have those uh, in person. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so encouraged that he's still alive. I because it was sort of was sort of folklore in the story because I've heard it. I've heard his name so many times for so many years from me yeah. that now I get to actually put a face to it and and uh, and, and see his little New Mexico tie. Is he, he's from New Mexico as well? Is he? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, right, because I know you always said the workshops were in New Mexico, but he wears this sort of Aztec shirt, and it's really uh, very, very trendy looking. Uh, yeah. Little kind of. Uh, yeah, New I mean, Mexico I mean, Albuquerque is very interesting because there's a very interesting therapist and psychology and psychotherapist that uh, developed uh, from. And you went down there yourself. Yeah. So I did go down there myself. I went down there for a couple of. Uh, yeah, I, I went down there more for the Echo. So the Echo also developed there. So okay. the education thing. Have you met Bill Miller? Uh, only when he came to CAMH. So he came to CAMH maybe 10 years ago. He had a workshop there. Okay. And so I attended uh, there when he was there. Were you like a little fanboy? Uh, I thought it would be, but he was so humble and uh, had such humility. Like, like sometimes you want your gods to be gods. You know, I don't explain it. He presented himself as so human, you know, but it was, it was really nice to see him. And, and I think a lot of the philosophy I've, I've kept with myself, and you see it, right? Because every time I give a talk, I make sure I try to add a couple of snippets in so anyone the audience is maybe thinks about or maybe even realizes if we're lucky that they could do some of the stuff that I do. Yeah, and one of the common questions we get at talks that we've done is uh, how after you've introduced it, people say, how can I learn about this, right? How do I learn about it? And uh, I, I always remember one of your things is it's, it's not in a book, right? It's, this, isn't a, this isn't a book learning. It may be in a book, but it's not... Uh, that's not the best way of learning it, and you're, it's not the complete way of learning it. Is that, do you so, remember what? Do you remember what the best way is? That it reflected, like doing it, recording it, yeah. and then having somebody else critique yeah. it, which absolutely. is tough. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that, that's that's how you get good at it. Right. That's how you make sure that you're you're doing it right. So once you learn the skill, if you're getting feedback, if you're getting coaching, uh, if you're um, having recorded sessions where you're being scored, you stay good at it. Because what happens is that if you start doing motivational interviewing about six months after you've done the course, your patients don't always drink less. And, and what the reason that they suspend is because you start to get it back into the corrective mode because you know the answers, right? And so someone comes in, uh, initially you're using very a lot of MI, you're using motivational interviewing, they're coming up with their own reasons to change. But then six months later, maybe you just forget and you get to, you go back to your old habits, like you gotta stop, you gotta stop, you gotta stop. And, and it's not always as effective. So you can, it's a skill you can not necessarily always get better with time. In fact, if you're not perfecting it, you may not, you may get worse. Or if you're not getting feedback. If you're not, if you're getting, not getting feedback or observed interviews, the way that we want people to learn it is through experiential exercises, so like workshops, right? And so, so most people in medicine, they go to an hour-long talk, they can, I mean, most healthcare providers, they, they can learn it, they can memorize it, they can uh, pass a multiple choice test on the content. But, but in order to, to do motivational interviewing, I think you, or to do it uh, well or the way that it was designed, uh, you have to sort of have some of these experiential exercises where you get to feel what that ambivalence is like. And when they're doing these workshops, they, they usually use real play. And, and what, does that, what does that mean? It means like you, when you're there, you actually pick something that you want to change, that you've not changed yet, something that you used to do that you're not doing that you want to do again. And, and what, that, um, what, what that allows you to do is really be with, fully with that, that ambivalence. Is that, that, is that, sorry to interrupt, is that kind of the activity where we were uh, standing in a room and, and going uh, from one side to the other side? Yeah, yeah, that, that was part of it. Okay. That, that was absolutely part of it. Yeah. And, and you know, so, so when in motivational interviewing training, they have separate training workbooks that's full of exercises like that. And so you, you have a small group, you have them come with a question, you have them practice together, or you have these exercises where they move around the room. Yeah. Uh, and all of them cover a simple component. So for example, that one hour talk that covers all the basics of MI, when you're doing a workshop, a one day or a two day workshop, you take each one of those points, 
you create an experiential exercise around it or you use someone else's. Uh, the whole MI community is all about sharing. So for example, if you joined Mint, that motivational interviewing network of trainers, uh, or if you got, like, they share all of their exercises. Just like whereas some of these other therapies, they're, they're very protectionistic, right? Yeah. But you sort of have to be, right? If you want to have a successful business and you don't want someone else to take your idea and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, it's, they have all these exercises where you have the people do the exercise and then you debrief. You teach a content, you have people do the exercise and then you debrief. Uh, and the whole day is set up that way when they run workshops for motivational interview. Are there workshops available in Canada and commonly now, or has that kind of been shut down with the pandemic and all that sort of well, stuff? Well, I mean, I think even before it was hard to find, because with things like cognitive behavior therapy or these other third wave psychotherapies, uh, there, there's an incentive to create more and more workshops. With motivational interviewing, it's not like it's like this huge brand, right? Anybody can sort of pick up the skill and learn it and uh, teach it. I think you just have to go to that conference where they have for the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers and you can run these uh, training sessions according to whatever certification. And that's uh, called that Mint? Have. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, Mint. Okay. Okay. Mint, yeah. And so, like, it, it's always tricky to find a good quality workshop to uh, to go to. I think the courses uh, that, that you're doing are usually quite uh, quite good. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear about it when you're done it. Yeah, for sure. You know, so to hear about what exercise... Now I've got, now I've got the motivation to to get it done now, right? Well... And to report back on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think the, the other thing that we want to think about is what are the things that they do well? Because the things that they do well in that workshop, we don't need to recreate it. We don't need to cover that content. We don't need to uh, create exercise if people get that experience. But there's going to be some things that are essential to be a good MI practitioner where you don't get that experience from doing an eight-week online course. Right. And those are the things that people that want to get better at their craft are, are going to want to learn and do. And how can we help people pick up those skills? Right. You know, like, can you imagine if every caseworker could choose when to bring out the MI skill set? Like, it's definitely going to help uh, the patients that they're seeing and serving. Absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, it, it, I feel like it's always out with you. Is it not always out? No. Yeah, so so you you haven't been to a lot of these uh, trainings uh, yet, right? Uh, but I, but I know you've been exposed to some things, uh, and what what I find is that the people who do the trainings have completely drank the Kool Aid of the philosophy they're teaching. Okay. And I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I don't know if you've done any mindfulness, but what is mindfulness? It's being present. They have this raisin exercise. So you have the raisin, you put it on your tongue, you look at it, you smell it, you have, it, and it's like a ten minute raisin exercise. And, and when you watch these people who do mindfulness present, they're almost in like that zen-like state and they're mindful in how they're existing. When you watch cognitive behavior therapy people present, it's almost like they're very structured, rules, they have an agenda, start point, which is just like the, the therapy, right? And so uh, for me, it is, it is a big part of uh, what I what I do and, and one of the reasons for me why it's so important is because the most important thing for me is engagement. I, I want to have that connection with the person. I want them to feel comfortable coming back and if they know that I see their value, I see their competence, I see their skill, they're going to be more likely to come back to me. Yeah. Whereas if I'm lecturing them about things they already know, I mean stuff that are going to be life-saving if they did it, but if it's stuff they know, it could just go go wrong. So I always start with an MI approach where I try to build that trust. I mean, now that I think about it, uh, there's some cases where I need more of a harm reduction approach. I need to say, hey, if you need any supplies, they're over here, yeah. right? Uh, and that's something I've not fully mastered, right? But it might also be the environment. So I'm MI because I like to know 
what's important to people. I'd like to know what people uh, care about. And it doesn't matter whether it's a patient or, or a colleague, uh, because there may be some things um, in the addiction world that could help them. So if it's a patient, once people start talking about what they care about, all of a sudden they eventually realize that, hey, maybe the substance isn't helping. Sometimes it takes a while. Yeah. And for, for colleagues, if I know what they care about, and I can tack in a substance use a skill, all of a sudden, every single patient they see is going to be exposed to that skill that person has. Because when people are out in practice they're so busy they're so swamped they're so trained they like they don't have time to add extra skills to their practice right yeah. so i got a deal for you so maybe i can help walk you down the harm reduction path and uh yeah, in, yeah. in this learning and then maybe you can help me as i come down the road of this mi and uh, finish my course and, and check back with you and uh, we can both kind of walk down these journeys together how does that yeah sound? yeah no i think, I think that, that would be i think that would be great and, and for you i think this could be incredibly important because now you're a clinician right you're a caseworker now and so you're regularly doing intensive case management for many uh, clients that you you see and you and you work with and what you're also finding which was i think what was happening when we worked together as well there are certain patients that have different stories than you do Right, so when somebody has a similar story, you're like, hey, I get it, boom, the relationship is there. And when the relationship is there, you can give advice. You can give advice, you can know what to do, because there's the relationship and there's the trust that's there. But for the people where they've got a different story, you're gonna need some tools and tips Absolutely. to build their trust. 100%. And, and MI is a very effective tool yeah. to build uh, people's uh, trust. And, and the only caveat I would add is that you really wanna make sure that whatever you do, you do it as authentically as possible. Yes. You do as much with the person's intention, compassion for that person in mind. And the reason that I say that is because with motivational interviewing, what happened before the third edition was written, Bill Miller, he read this book on how to get someone to do what you want them to do in like seven steps. And it was all MI. And he was really upset because in his mind, he was like, no, this is not a course of therapy. It's very patient-centered, but it was exactly what they're doing in sales. And so after he read that, they shifted the spirit to also include the word compassion. So it's also compassion for that person in front of you. Okay. You know, and, and hopefully, I mean, I think this would work out, but the hope is that by having that compassion, even if you have different goals than the person does for themselves, that's going to help shift you so it's also oriented with what, what they want for themselves. Makes sense. Sounds like, a, sounds like a plan. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's it. That's it. Oh. Okay. I could have talked for a while longer. I thought we were just getting to the meat, but I guess we need more than one session. We need more than one session. We're not going to get this done in one session. I've got to do some learning and come back. Okay. No, All right. I've got to go see my family. <laughs> okay.